S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 3, Episode 7, starring Mary Kay Place with musical guest Willie Nelson. Originally aired on December 10th, 1977. Hello, everyone. Welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. With me, as always, my good buddy, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hey, Keith. How you doing? I am well. And uh, with us this week, it's Chili. Hello, Chili. Hi. What's going on, guys? Not too much. Mary Kay Place. Either of you guys familiar with her work? No idea who she is. Yeah, even after looking her up, very little I recognize, aside from a few things where she was a mid-character at best. Yeah, she. I mean, she's had a prolific career for sure, but it's just not crossed what I've watched too much, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, kind of the same thing. I was surprised how much stuff I recognize the name of what she was in, but I either haven't seen it or the stuff I did see, she was like the mom who was in the background or stuff like that. Mary Kay Place, born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, do I say Boomer sooner or is that the other team? Chili, do you know? Yeah, I just know it as Oklahoma. I assume it's yeah. all just one big team. <laughs> She got her start working as a PA for folks like Tim Conway and Norman Lear. She became a writer as well uh, as as her acting career took off. Uh, she really made her big break playing country singer Loretta Haggers on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. And she released a couple of in-character country albums, uh, one that at least one that featured a lot of duets with folks like Willie Nelson. Her most recent gig at this point was Scorsese's New York, New York, which I've seen. I saw a long, long time ago. She has a lot of credits after the fact. I mean, you know, Big Chill is the one I always think of right off the bat because, uh, you know, it was sort of everywhere in my childhood, the soundtrack anyway. Um, but as we like to mention this as much as possible, Matt, on our podcast, um, she was, in fact, in Captain Ron. Really? <laughs> she was Martin Short's wife, yes. <laughs> Still very busy as an actor. It looks like writing and directing has slowed down a bit. I could be wrong, but uh, but yeah, so she's had a good career. It just hasn't intersected too much with our interests, I don't think. And the musical guest tonight, I think, could, uh, you know, maybe get better of a reaction from you guys. It's a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Willie Nelson. Uh, Chili, I know already how you feel about Willie Nelson. Uh, big fan, aren't you? Yeah, one of my favorite performers, celebrities, musicians, public figures of all time. Matt, where do you sit on Willie? Eh, it's fine. Yeah, it's not really my uh, genre. It's very much on a song by song basis. And I'm somewhere in the middle. I mean, I certainly admire all he's done, and I've never, I'd never turn off a Willie Nelson song. But I'm not I'm certainly not as big a fan as Chili. <laughs> Let's jump to the cold open. So we have the cast sitting on a uh, a bunch of benches. They're dressed as kind of a cheer squad. Mary Kay Place comes in dressed as a cheerleader. Her job tonight is to pump some pep into the casts. Dan, for one, cannot. Bill is having some personal problems, and pep is just not something that the Saturday Night Live cast is really interested or able to do. John Belushi comes in late. He is smoking and drinking. Mary Kay asks where his pep has been. Belushi wonders how he could have Pep in a stupid cheerleading costume. Jane agrees with Mary Kay and says that Pep is a good idea and that John is the biggest reason why the show has no Pep and he's been in disciplinary problems since the beginning of season one. Belushi calls Mary Kay and Jane Curtin fascists 
This upsets Mary Kay. Belushi feels bad. He hasn't given enough thought to Pep over the last 15 years and decides to make this the peppiest show ever. The Saturday Night Live band enters as a marching band and the cast dances. And then they jump through one of them large paper things that football teams jump through and introduce themselves. Dan calls himself either Gary or Jerry. And the group says, live from New York, it's Saturday night. (laughs) This was peppy once it got rolling. Uh, Certainly not Saturday Night Live, but not a bad change. This wasn't an excellent cold open, but it was definitely different. I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, Note Bill Murray's mustache has made a return. I almost think it would have been better if they skipped the beginning bit. Somebody found the word pep very funny. That person was not me, and it just kind of went on a little bit. Yeah, Dan saying the wrong name was good. And I did like the energy of once they actually got in front of the audience, but the before part... No, it didn't land with me at all. So I don't really like when the host is in the cold open. That always just annoys me for some reason. I like when they come out with the monologue, give the cast the cold open. You know, I can't not mention it. Thought about it here. But I I really, uh, at the same time, uh, I certainly think it was a very appropriate use of the host. She really killed that Pepe. Those are some tongue twisters. Come on. Yeah. Killed that. Her performance and energy was great. I thought their Jane admonishing John was great. And I thought everybody was good in it. And it was silly. And I liked them all jumping out of the thing and jumping on each other. I loved I loved it. I loved it. Nice. Nice. Do you wonder if maybe like the network or a, a prominent journalist said the show needs pep and that was their response? <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's where my mind went. So we're now at the monologue. Mary Kay has had an interesting week in New York. She started uh, keeping a diary and actually picked up where her last diary left off, which was grade eight. She reads from it. Uh, This is very stereotypical entries from a teen girl. Um, Talks about trying to date some guy named Rob or taking some guy named Rob to a sock hop. Turns out he can't go with her. She's using a lot of like slang lingo and stuff like that. She closes the book and says, though Rob couldn't take her to the dance, she has been asked to host Saturday Night Live. And, uh implies that she's hooked up with Dan Aykroyd. Um, This was not a good monologue at all. I mean, I I think Mary Kay's performance was good, but uh, it it was nothing super special. Um, And the audience really didn't seem to be into it at all, which which I think definitely hurt it. Um, Good performance, bad material, and uh, dead audience. Yeah, a bit of a spoiler for, I think, what most of the show I'll probably say is that she did better than a lot of the material she had to work with. It just wasn't funny. Maybe the fact that I wasn't a huge fan of the cold open. Uh, I don't know. At first, I kind of wondered, like, is this trying to be serious for something? And then the joke at the end. And yeah, I don't know. I I would have liked I wanted to like it more because she was delivering it well. There was just no jokes in that. Such a letdown after that hot, cold open. You know, that, that cold open comes in so hot. There's so much energy. Then you get her sitting there reading. Come on. Think, think it through. This is what a what a bring down. Let's see if the next uh, segment picks it up for you, because it certainly did for me. It's a uh, Hey You Perfume. So we have Gilda at a bar. This is a pre-tape. Gilda's at a bar, uh, and uh, she's a sort of a glamorous barfly type, I suppose. Um, she sprays a perfume on her, and it's called Hey You Perfume. And she suddenly gets a lot of attraction from men in the bar. She beckons one man from the end who she leaves the bar with in a taxi cab. Now, Hey You Perfume is the perfume for someone you never expect to see again. We flash to the next morning where Gilda is disheveled, leaving a uh, hotel um, and trying to hail a cab. 
So uh, Hey You was announced as the perfume of one night stands. So Gilda's basically all dolled up and then she's doing the walk of shame the next morning. Gilda was absolutely fantastic in this. Really, really knocked my socks off with uh, just how subtle she was, uh, you know, the next morning, quote unquote, walk of shame. Thoroughly enjoyed this. It really showed Gilda's versatility in a very short bit. Couple of cast notes. We do get a very quick look at uh, Buck Henry in this, uh, doing an unspoken cameo, and we also get a glimpse of Emily Prager. And Emily Prager goes on to be, she's her her story's a strange one. She makes a few uncredited appearances over the years, and then later doesn't appear on the one show where she is actually credited. So Emily Prager has an interesting interesting trivia note there. Yeah, I like this one quite a bit too. Uh, the joke is pretty tame by today's standards, especially, but it was delivered well. Um, once they got in the cab and it said, you know, people you don't expect to see again, you knew where the joke was coming, but deliver, uh, Gilda, just her disheveledness worked. It wasn't too over the top. It looked like it could have been legit. And uh, not that it should matter, but I have the notes here. Like, this is probably the prettiest I've ever seen Gilda. You know, she looked fantastic, especially in the beginning part, which, you know, every once in a while, it's it's nice because she's her fame in a lot of ways is based on being you know the the weird looking one next to say like jane or lorraine or whatever and like oh, good for gilda overall well acted and she looked fantastic i feel like i feel like i'm always at odds with you guys like it's just the way sometimes maybe i just didn't get it like chili makes some very good points and i like thinking about it like that but it, i mean it's I, I would also argue that it's very it's and which is fine i mean it's fucking 2023 it's just I, I I really try to not look at it very retrospectively when I watch this in the late seventies. It's just a dumb joke. I thought you would be all for this one. Wasn't. Didn't like it. Didn't like the joke. Not much of a joke. I thought it looked pretty. That's it. I mean, I kind of get it. Like Chili sold me on the sketch better than the sketch did itself. But I mean, that shouldn't have to be. And in a way, like I do actually. Agree with Matt and the fact that the joke was like the least important part, I guess, to say about this. It was the best way to deliver this joke. I think they nailed it on the head. It just, you know, the joke was just one night stand. Yeah, because of a perfume, I guess. Uh, it's, it's like Pepe Le Pew cartoon. Let's go to our next sketch. It's more insects to worry about. It's Jane Curtin as Jane Curtin hosting Dr. Haskell Lack, played by John Belushi. And he comes with horrifying discoveries from the insect world. Belushi says that within a matter of weeks, the lens beetle could infest the whole world. The beetle can only hatch its eggs in the area between the eyeball and the contact lens, and the eyes are then sealed shut. The bug mates in the warmth of the human underwear, where they seal off the underwear for privacy. The male beetle spins itself to death in the abdominal hair of males. By the 1980s, they could be swarmed by funny ants. These are ants that do practical jokes on humans. He noticed that the ants aren't laughing with you, but they're laughing at you. And he once saw 200 ants carrying a bag of dog dew for six blocks where they lit it on fire on someone's porch. This I laughed at this whole thing. It was just silly enough for me. I thought Belushi was fantastic. Jane was her usual self. Certainly worked well for me. Um, but yeah, this was another good one. I really liked it. Yeah, staunch disagreement here. Uh, I did not. I was excited when they talked about the lens beetle, even though I knew that best case scenario, it was going to end up with... Belushi acting as if the lens beetle had infected him. I was really waiting for that. You know, anyone who's listened to me on this show so far has probably gotten, you know, justifiably uh, 
the impression that I do not like Belushi's sketches where it just leads to him flipping out at the end. I was waiting for it in a sketch and it just never happened. It was one of the dampest endings to any sketch I could think of where I, I just felt like nothing happened in this sketch. And yeah, I was disappointed with this one and I didn't have my hopes that high in the first place. I guess I take the uh, I'll take the Keith role this time. It'll be somewhere between the two of you because I, I liked it moderately. Uh, I thought the title card was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Jane hosting uh, these bits. She's so good at it. And so and I just have loved them so much historically that that absurd title card and them coming into her like I'm already happy. So I, I was a bit of an easy sell. But I guess where it goes wrong for me is sometimes I found that Belushi stuff a bit long-winded. I did really like some of it. Maybe I just thought it was a bit too long. There was definitely something missing. Yeah, did you notice his sweater had a hole in the front? He <laughs> <It> did. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> that is the uh, sweater that he wore in the Little Chocolate Donuts ad last week, Matt, but it's turned around in the front with the moth hole. <laughs> <laughs> the moths are the actual insect to worry about. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we now have a Chiron, and this person is allergic to the limelight. We now go to Total Womanhood, and Mary Kay Place plays Maribel Morgan, who was the author of the 1973 self-help book, Total Woman. Now, this was parodied before on the show. Basically, the, the aim of the book was for women to have a happy marriage. They have to really turn themselves over to their husbands and uh, just be like happy homemaker at all times. This is the book that actually talked about women answering the door dressed in like saran wrap and stuff, and that plays into the sketch. Maribel has Jane, Gilda, and Lorraine into her home for a discussion about the total woman. And the girls' names are uh, Gayvette, Dickie Nell, and Lurleen. Gayvette uh, has been practicing total womanhood by hiding when she had a boil on her neck so her husband wouldn't be disgusted. Dickie Nell, played by uh, Gilda, never refused a sex with her husband, even when she was recovering from gallbladder surgery. John Belushi comes in as Mary Bell's husband and says that he's hungry, but she kind of waves him off. Jane, as Lurleen, talks about greeting her husband uh, at the door with various seductive clothing on. And then they do uh, a role play with Lorraine dressed as a man, Gilda dressed as a wife in lingerie. And they do the, the role play what Gilda does at the end of the day when her husband comes home for work. They end off with a little bit of a group prayer. Um, I thought the women did good here, really good here on a, in a sketch that was not super fresh material. But I was really, I was waiting for Belushi to come back out because I think the thrust of the sketch was that Maribel doesn't practice what she preaches, but we didn't get any real uh, conclusion on that. Maybe I missed the point. Maybe it flew over my head, but uh, I thought this was good performances of substandard material. Yeah, good sketch. Uh, I would say it's probably uh, there's another sketch later on that falls into the same category where it seemed like, you know, the four main girls involved were all having fun and did a good job. I didn't know until halfway through the sketch that Maribel Morgan was a real person and seems like a bit of a scumbag by my opinion but no <laughs> there were some funny lines uh i think it was jane who had the line tuesday i greeted him with wearing two dixie cups and a handy wipe there were just some there was some really fun stuff in here yeah it just didn't feel fully complete sort of to what you said um overall similar to the commercial for hey you i guess it was the actors elevated what they were given to work with. We're all on the same page with this one, lad, so that's nice to hear. Geez, pretty much with all of the above, I thought everybody was really good in it. Uh, there was and there was some really funny lines, like uh, giving them, just give them smaller portions than God. The bit with the Dixie <laughs> Cups. And Lorraine and Gilda especially had fun. 
doing a little uh, skit there with playing the husband. There was a lot to like. It was a bit long. I think I liked it overall. Everybody was having a good time. There was some sharp humor in it. Just thought maybe a little long. I was into it. In my opinion, anyway, the women are better at playing off the hosts than the men are on the show. Would you agree with that? I would say overall, the women have better chemistry with everyone else. You know what I mean? Like when I like when you think of and you guys have done a lot more of these than I have. But I was thinking like Akira doing the commercial sketches and Belushi has like the Belushi sketches where in the end it, he's blowing up and you know Chevy was the star. But I find like the women always play off better, not just the hosts, but the other cast members. Yeah, I just find like they're overall better as part of the ensemble, I guess, while still having times to shine. Whereas, yeah, the men don't play off as well. Yeah. I'm with you. Never would have thought of it. You know, I'm not a not a data guy like you. I definitely trust your, your data and instinct on that. But uh, it sure it sure strikes me that that is. Yeah, it seems like the women even have better chemistry with each other. Like, I can think of times that Jane and Lorraine or Jane and Gilda or Gilda and Lorraine were, all, were good with each other. But I can't think of too many times when, like, you know, Bill Murray and Garrett or, or even at this point, you know, Dan and Bill Murray were really awesome together. So we now go to Willie Nelson, um, and uh, he comes out. Uh, he's there to sing Whiskey River and Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. Whiskey River, cover of a Johnny Bush song released in 1973 on Shotgun Willie. This is up-tempo from the album release, and uh, I much, much prefer it uh, as this live version. Blue Eyes Crying, a country standard, Willie made his own, and it jump-started his career as a performer. Released on 75's Redheaded Stranger. Again, another excellent performance. This is all done in a burn set. That makes me think of Hee Haw, which I have mentioned loving as a guilty pleasure. I'm really delighted with Willie Nelson's performance here. I thought it was fantastic. And uh, other than maybe saying, what's Willie Nelson doing in New York? But even still, we know Willie Nelson belongs on whatever stage Willie Nelson happens to stand on. So uh, I was blown away and really happy with this. You know, Whiskey River is you know, one of Willie's staple songs, even though it's you know not one that he wrote. So that was good to hear and a bit more upbeat to get it going. And then, you know, legitimately Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain by Willie like, is one of my favorite songs. To hear him perform it live on this. And this is like, this is what I consider like peak Willie when he still had the bigger beard. Like he still looked like he was 80, despite I think being in his 40s at the time. But big beard, scumbag looking Willie. Like, yeah, I like this a lot. I liked it okay. I uh, don't, uh, I didn't love the going from the good rocking song into the slow part song. It's all subjective. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It certainly uh, it's more pleasant than a lot of the music we've been seeing around here lately, uh, which I appreciate. And you know, he's got that he's just got that stoner cowboy thing going on. And he even when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, that guy seems cool. He seems cool. I don't like all the music. I'm not a country music guy, but Willie Nelson's cool. Sure, the heaviest I think I ever saw Willie. <laughs> yeah, really, I noticed that actually. Let's jump into weekend update. So this one has a weird one where they actually do a teaser into Weekend Update with Jane teasing a story. There's in a short break, probably a commercial in the original broadcast. We come back to a couple of uh, sight gags with photos. Uh, Americans in Mexican prisons are being sent home to stay in American prisons, and Americans are sending an equal number of Santa Clauses to go live in Mexican prisons. There is a photo of Anwar Sadat leaning over, and he's said to be addressing a, a group of dwarves. The JFK assassination is being investigated by the same folks that investigated the Stephen Biko case, and uh, it's determined that all of uh, Kennedy's injuries were self-inflicted. 
Garrett comes in as a bellhop yelling calling for a call for Garrett Morris. This gets a great stare from Jane, and it's a parody of the Johnny the Bellhop, uh, who did a series of ads for Philip Morris cigarettes when he would do call for uh, Philip Morris. And I'd say this is just purely because Garrett's playing a bellhop in the next sketch. But I laughed at it. Lorraine does a report about lie detection after some snafus with her mon- or with her microphone. She talks about micro expressions and she demonstrates them, but these are, she does them as broad expressions. Uh, I really got to laugh out of that. Bill Murray then comes in as Eric Severi, who was forced to retire from CBS uh, news commentaries the previous week because he reached the mandatory retirement age. This is very much like an Eric Severi uh, commentary. It's full of double talk and incomprehensible big words. He does note the man who made him retire uh, was actually older than him. Weird thing about this one is Bill's mustache is covered up with flesh makeup, and it I was very distracted. It looked like there was something wrong with his, his mouth or something. And then a nice way of ending, they send a get well wish to Al Siegel, their cue card guy, and Dan holds up a cue card, uh, which is a get well message. We're still not where we were in season two. This was a stronger update of the season. Um, Garrett coming out, Gave me a big laugh. The Santa Claus gave me a big laugh. Lorraine was funny. Um, and I didn't mind the Severi thing. So uh, better than usual uh, on the uh, season three curve. Yeah, I find the last several weekend updates I've done with you guys, like they didn't hit. This one I did get a bit more chuckles out of me than most. I was very confused by the Garrick bit, but I didn't look up the whole Philip Morris thing. Uh, oh, I did really like uh, Lorraine with the over-the-top facial expressions and other anytime Lorraine's on Weekend Update, I'm up for it. And yeah, Bill Murray's bit was, even though I didn't find it funny, it was well done. I could definitely see, without knowing who this guy is, I could tell it was probably a pretty decent impersonation of him. And it's crazy to think that, you know, a major media company would actually have like the mandatory retirement age of 65 and enforce it. Only a couple of years after this, they actually like forced Walter Cronkite to retire because he was too old. So that tells you how serious they took it. And yeah, overall, this is a thumbs in the middle, which for recent weekend updates is almost a thumbs up for me. I still don't like it. It's still, it's still not making me laugh. I'm, I'm not with you guys on the Lorraine part. I thought it was dumb. I thought Bill's bit was terrible as well. And you know, Dan Aykroyd seemed a little more comfortable. Yeah, it's definitely a shade up. It's a shade up, but I, it's, I think it's... Still an excruciating experience. I don't like Weekend Update right now. It doesn't seem like the audience likes it either. Like, there's lots of things I don't like on SNL that the audience reacts well to. The last few Weekend Updates I've done with you guys, and, like, even the ones I've watched that you've done where I wasn't on the show, like, it seems like you take a piss break for a lot of people. Yeah. I'm almost shocked that after some of the recent Weekend Updates I've seen, I'm almost surprised that they even kept it on the show. Beyond the fact, I know there's some logistics where it gives most of the cast a break, time to get changed into bigger costumes and all that. But yeah, they, they just don't seem to be hitting too well. So the fact this one got a couple chuckles, I'm like, I guess that's a plus, but I'm surprised they kept kept it going. I think they, they, they tried to fix something that wasn't broken. We now go to Married in a Minute, and we have clips of a downtown New York, and Dan narrates it saying that the, the bachelor-to-bachelorette ratio is 35 to 2, and the odds of meeting someone you can stand is 1 million to 1. So what we get is the, the four women playing four women who just arrived in New York City, and they are led to the Imperial Suite of the Waldorf by Garrett, who's dressed as a bellhop, and they're just so amazed by New York City. Uh, Jane finds a million dollars by a 
bouquet of flowers, Mary Kay is an actor who immediately gets cast in a Broadway play thanks to a wrong number. Gilda gets invited to the coronation ball of the Prince of France, who saw her in the lobby. Dan is a rich man who enters the wrong room, finds the woman he wants to marry, and uh, casts her in a perfume ad, and that's Lorraine, and she's going to marry him. Tom Davis and Bill Murray come in as the King and Prince of France. Uh, Bill Murray's in love with Gilda, of course. Things are not working out so well for Jane, but she finds a letter from God that says whoever finds this will get a career forever. And then John appears as a rich Texas cowboy type and proposes to Jane. Garrett says he's not really a black bellhop, but he's a white millionaire who wants to meet someone who loves him for him. Jim Downey then enters as a priest and the four groups are married. And uh, they're married because Garrett always carries four diamond rings around. I don't know. I couldn't find if this was referencing anything or if this was just an overall take of like, you know, the media, especially in days of yore, you know, promoted coming to New York with nothing and 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 becoming, you know, getting all your dreams answered. Again, this was a lot like the other uh, the other one with the four women. I really enjoyed the performances in this and I liked the randomness of some of the things that were happening. It wasn't a great sketch. Maybe I was just too worried about what is this specifically referencing. But I thought the women in particular were fantastic. I thought Garrett was really good in this one as well. Yeah, this had a lot of enthusiasm. And it even had a lot of jokes. I don't know if a lot of them landed. Like, I guess I was waiting for the contrast. You know what I mean? Like, everything was working out perfectly. Everyone you know, was very, very, very high energy. And I was just waiting, like, okay, well, like, when they showed, it was, uh, yeah, Jane, who was like, oh, I guess there's no luck for me. I was like, okay. I kind of thought, okay, here we go. Here's the contrast. Things are going to be really just awful for her, but then everything turned around and it was, yeah, that's the best way. It was a plateau, high enthusiasm. There were jokes in there, some funny stuff. You know, Garrett was great in it, but there was no up and down to it. It was just one level across. But the, I mean, the audience seemed to like this sketch, maybe the best of all of them. Uh, maybe the best thing so far, sketch wise, but still not great. It's just too ambitious. It's so bloated. Like, calm down production tonight like somebody like it's like they're roll. maybe they're rolling in money and like you know spend all this money write a period piece sketch we got all these costumes now like there's there's something the wheel something missing with the wheels i, I don't know what metaphor i'm trying to use it's not clicking though there's some jokes in there yeah sure i didn't think they were good jokes uh, and everyone looks good in their nice pretty clothes but I thought it was so flat. Yeah, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of jokes, but there's no punchline to it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just with the writing this episode. I don't know. It's like somebody went through and edited out all the jokes at the end of each sketch. Same with the bug sketch earlier. And even though I enjoyed it a bit more, the, the total womanhood sketch, like there were good bits in it, but there was no finale to it. We're certainly not getting much bite, you know, as far as like the, the tragic side. Like, you know, Michael O'Donoghue was not present tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we now go to something completely different. Andy Kaufman playing the conga drums, and he sings in gibberish in two different voices. He, the audience claps, and then he goes and does some sort of stand-up banter, still in his uh, foreign man character. People, of course, don't get his jokes, but they're still enjoying it. He pulls a woman up from the audience, where after she says, yeah, to some of his gibberish questions, he positions her to lay down on the stage, and then he gets her to stand up after doing a dance. Uh, a little bit more conga stuff where he does his Abu Dhabi. I always liked Andy's. I've, I've seen this bit a few times, and, and of course it's recreated in, uh, some of it's recreated in the Man on the Moon movie. I like this. It's 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 a fun routine. It's very entertaining. Andy's always a hit with me. So 
thumbs up for this one. Yeah, I think with uh, this really picked up when he started having the crowd interaction where he brought the girl up on stage. Uh, she seemed like a great sport, and you know he had a good bit. Like I think this is probably the thing a lot of people would say about Kaufman is even if I don't necessarily like what he's giving you, I can't deny the fact that it's extremely well done. Like you could tell everything is measured, everything is rehearsed, almost like down to the second. So it's appreciating very fine craftsmanship, even if you don't necessarily like the craft. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense uh, to me. Holy shit, I didn't know he could uh, sing and play them drums so well. That was pretty impressive. I was just pretty impressed at first. I'd never seen the pit before. I don't remember Man on the Moon super good. I don't care for Jim Carrey, but that's another issue. But it was pretty fun. Um, that lady was having a good time. It was a good time, though. He was, yeah, like Chili said, you're, you're appreciating some craftsmanship here. And uh, it's sure fun to watch. I liked it. We now go to Bad Musical. And uh, yeah, Tom Schiller wrote all these bad pieces. I don't think I've mentioned it on the show yet, but uh, we can thank Schiller for these. This one, uh, Leonard Pinth Carnell is back as the host. First time I think we've seen one of these in a while. And this one's called Bad Musical. And it's called, the musical's called Lewinhoff. The story of the uh, glassmaker who invented the microscope. And this is said to have opened off off Broadway in 1953 and closed two and a half minutes later. Belushi plays Lewinhook, Mary Kay plays his wife Ava, who is feeling neglected, Gilda plays their daughter Greta, who sits in the background spinning yarn, Murray plays an eavesdropping lens grind, Lewinhook does the sort of lookout world type song, Mary Kay does a song about being shrunk down to microscopic size so her husband will pay attention to her, Bill Murray sings a song that, that actually starts with Let's have sex, Mrs. L. And for some reason, he's wearing skates around his neck, which I thought was hilarious. Gilda comes out, does a very random clog dance. Lewin Hook's wife wipes his glasses. They realize that all the time he couldn't see was because his glasses were dirty. We get a little bit more music from uh, Tom Schiller, Al Franken, Garrett Morris, Cheryl Hardwick, and Franny Lee, who play vig- villagers who just stand by the Dutch door. This was really, really funny. I really enjoyed this. I thought everyone was fantastic. A lot of like belly laughs in this one. My only issue with this, and it's such a moot point, is that quality-wise, this might have been too good of a production to be uh, considered like bad musical. I do agree with you in the fact that it seemed too good to be considered bad compared to some of the previous, you know, bad musical and bad. Uh, they've had a few other bad ones. Yeah, no, this is well done. I didn't find it particularly funny either, but. Uh, you know, Bill's Let's Have Sex, Mrs. L, and just the sleazy delivery and look on him. And it may have been the best use of Mary Kay for the whole episode, I would say. Ups and downs. It's a rare case where I find like having Dan as the uh, introduction kind of took away from it. I think I would have been just as happy if it was a very quick in and out. I definitely agree, Chili. I thought it was a bit too long. I, I do like Leonard, so I, I-, I liked him bookending it, but I- I- it was too long in the middle. And again, just very ambitious. They're really a bunch of tryhards tonight with the production. Uh, but I don't know. It's all that pep. <laughs> too, much, too much pep tonight. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I thought it was kind of, sometimes I thought it was sloppy. Sometimes I thought it was cute. It was pretty okay. It's kind of a frustrating episode. Can't put my finger on it. We now go to something to brag about. This is a duet between uh, Willie Nelson and Mary Kay Place. 
I first heard this actually years and years ago on a tape my father had. It was done by George Jones and Tammy Wynette, though, but I much prefer this version. I was really impressed with Mary Kay Place's singing. I shouldn't have been. I mean, she, I, I you know, I saw some of the background. Um, my only complaint, I wish they used that friggin' burn set again. Sorry for mentioning it again, guys, but uh, <laughs> they didn't have it there. I was kind of pissed. thought that was great. Yeah, I like this for, in a way, a different reason is... It's, you know, probably one of the few Willie songs I don't remember hearing before. And it was fine. I mean, they're clearly like reading the lines and all that. But, you know, if you try singing a song while reading the <laughs> reading the lyrics for whatever reason, that's not very easy to do either. I'm up for anything Willie does. And Mary Kay has a very pretty voice and it sounded good to me. We've gotten a lot of funk and like jazz and shit like that on some of these SNL ones. And I was just happy to see something a bit different. I feel you on that. My favorite part of this is when... Her a bit when it's just Mary Kay singing. <laughs> Willie just kind of stands there awkwardly. He looks kind of bored. He almost jumped in on her at one point. <laughs> <laughs> if you want this song, Chili, it's actually on one of Mary Kay's uh, Loretta Haggers albums, if you're looking for the full Willie compendium. Oh, okay, I'm sure it's on YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next sketch is uh, also an ambitious one, Matt. You're on to something here. It's the Farber's Hanukkah. So Gilda starts on the phone with her. She's playing uh, Gilda as Bobby Farber, uh, starts on the phone with her mother, saying that they're inviting Larry's boss and wife over for a dinner to tell them about Hanukkah. Larry comes home and is very quickly followed by Bill and Mary Kay as Dick and Beverly, the boss and his wife, their guests. Mary says Chinooka, of course, you got to get that joke out there. Bobby wants to light the menorah before dinner, and they talk about the history of Hanukkah. Uh, Larry doesn't know as much about Hanukkah as Bobby does, and he questions some of the things. But Gilda goes on to talk about Judah Maccabee, played by Larry, which is Belushi again in a different costume. He was the leader of the Jewish army who discovered the everlasting light. And there's some jokes about the everlasting light going out and such like that. So he's surrounded at this point on a different set by his uh, his army, which is basically the writers and the other males. And they go looking for oil and they find enough to burn for one day. But the oil burned for eight. There's a couple of funny bits with a sundial. Uh, marking the passage of time. Judah is not convinced that it's a miracle. He thinks someone's playing as uh, a trick at first, but by day six, he calls it a miracle. On night eight, the light goes out, and Larry decides that, yeah, it is a miracle. It has to be a holy day. Dan's character volunteers to name the holiday, but he's going to need some time to think about it, and it's revealed that his name is Hanukkah. Gilda then says a prayer, and... uh this is at this point where Belushi has to run back from one set to the other. And we can actually see Bill giving Belushi a uh, a physical cue to, to hold on before he runs back in or, or trying to get him to come in before the camera pans out. Belushi gets in a tad late, which uh, has them all break up a little bit. This was really good. Uh, it was a bit longer than I'd like. I, I love the Farbers. I really love the little flub at the end and the way it was handled. The Judah parts of the sketch were, were funny. This was a little long for me. And, and the sad part is, is that this is the end of the line for Larry Farber. Bobby comes back, but we don't see Larry anymore after this sketch. I didn't find it particularly funny either, but it was also still a nice bit of fun. Like as dumb as it may sound, like I learned a little bit and some jokes in there. Like I liked uh, Bill's line about that's why I always wondered why the Jews killed Christ and just like the awkwardness that came yeah. from that afterwards. And then uh, the OK Hanukkah, what do you want to call the holiday? That thing like there were some funny bits in this too long, but not unenjoyable. 
Yeah, not unenjoyable. I mean, not super enjoyable, though. I, I liked Bill Murray in it the most. But otherwise, it was just, you know, everybody's out there. They're doing their characters, but there's something really cliche about it. Like, oh, uh, the, the Jews are having the Gentiles over for dinner. So it's going to be funny. It was just, it was hacky. That's what I thought it was. It was kind of hacky. I'd read somewhere that Gilda really wanted to do a Hanukkah sketch um, because, I mean, they're coming into Christmas and, and there's certainly, you know, a strong Jewish present on, presence on the show. And, you know, in, in a week's time, they'll all be celebrating Christmas. Did you just notice Bill's hand kind of cueing Belushi? Yeah. Yeah. Because I actually looked away from the screen at that point and I came back and there was a big laugh. So I, I went back specifically to see what the the awkward laugh from the audience was and yeah i paused it right when bill's hand was like i was giving like a hold back type sign yeah. and come in <laughs> we now go to the good nights um and it's just basic your standard good night there's some guy i i don't know chili you might know i i assume he might be related. the big guy with the glasses yeah i have no idea they brought him up and people seemed very like excited to see him and i did not recognize who he was i didn't know who he was uh hopefully someone can can let us know uh but then Andy Kaufman also comes up and joins him. It's rare for Andy. He's dressed like I do with a, a, a brown jacket and a gray hoodie hiding his <laughs> face. Um, but just your standard good nights other than that dude coming up that everybody seemed to make a big deal out of. All right. So let's rate the host. Um, Mary Kay Place. I thought she was excellent. This week had a lot of female heavy stuff. I thought she nailed it. She really fit in well with the cast. She did some good work even though the material wasn't really there for her. There was no, you know, five-star sketches here. But she was solid in everything she did except the monologue, which was really, really weak. And I, I didn't dig the monologue at all. Thought she was great, though. Yeah, I agree. She outperformed a lot of what she was given. And yeah, if you watched an episode of this and did not know who the cast members were and who the host was and like you weren't familiar with any of the actors you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell from the sketches who was doing it you know every week of their life for the last couple of years and who was doing it for the first time so she did great they just didn't give her nothing to work with and i always think of the host as having a bit more input on their monologue and in this case i hope that's not the case because no she did very well on Pretty much everything she was given, and she had a very nice voice, too, so that's a plus as well. Nothing really to add here. She was perfectly capable, lots of great energy, blended in with the cast. Yeah, that, that would definitely get a pass from me. I, uh, like you guys said, I wish she'd been in some more fun stuff. Music. Willie Nelson, three very different performances, nailed all three. Uh, tremendous performer who, I mean... You know, my initial thought is 1970s New York's not going to be down with him. But they then I remember it's it's, it's friggin Willie Nelson. He, he I mean, he transcends country. Is that wrong of me to say, Chili? I mean, he's not just a country guy. He's a, a musical legend that uh, that can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. Am, am I right there? Yeah, I think that's a safe thing to say. Um, you know, obviously, like <laughs> this will be no surprise. I'm very biased. I'm a huge Willie Nelson fan. But, you know, the only... Good example, growing up, the only country singer I think our mother had a CD or tape of was Willie Nelson. And not that our mom was super cool or nothing, but people know Willie. He's got he's got the look. He I don't know, I'll put it this way. Like this at this point in time, he would have been maybe 20 years into his career. 
and he looked like a guy who was already a legend when in reality mm-hmm. he's been doing it for very little you know relatively compared to what he'd end up doing 40 some years later everyone knows Willie Nelson same way that in a more contemporary term everybody knows who Snoop Dogg is even if you don't listen to rap music you know there is a common denominator there between Willie and Snoop who knows maybe that's what you know can bring people to a cross generational appeal yeah we all got get high Willie Nelson's, uh, I agree with what you said, Keith. It, it's definitely transcendent of country and to the point where it's just, it's almost like his own little brand. It's, uh, I didn't like all the songs. I really liked the first one. Did not like that slow one. And uh, the third one was fun. It was cute. It was fun. I'm not going to sit around and listen to it. Not on my, not on my Spotify. But uh, I don't sit here and complain about it, which to shade up i think to your guys point too about the diversity of it if if you think of the three type you know unless you're like a hardcore country fan there's usually like three types of songs people associate with country honky tonk bar like heavier movements type stuff which he did with uh whiskey river and then the slower you know my fucking horse ran away with my truck type stuff he did with blue eyes crying and then at the end it's the more fun we got married in a fever type stuff and he did that well so you know for a guy who's often uh lumped in as being like he has one style you know like what people say about jack nicholson like oh he's great at playing jack nicholson well you know willie's often lumped in with being almost like a caricature and my opinion he did three different types of songs that kind of represent the three different major types of country and nailed them all absolutely so what was your worst uh, sketch of the night fellas i'm gonna probably go with the more bugs to worry about i also thought the title card was funny but there was a sketch there that could have had more to it and sort of you know to matt's point about how this episode they spent a lot of money on a lot of sketches this one they probably could have put a little bit of that money in to do something actually involving the bugs or give us some type of finale otherwise not much jokes didn't really lead anywhere, but a good title. No, that's about it. Uh, it was right. What was right before Andy Kaufman? I think that was married in a minute right before him, where all the women with good luck moved to New York. Uh, yeah, that was. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's mine. No, that was bad for me. I went with the monologue. I thought it was shit. It was absolutely terrible. Um, yeah, that was bad. I almost forgot about that. I did forget about that. What was your best sketch of the night? It's going to be close. I don't know if I can give a tie, but I'm leading towards giving a tie to the total womanhood and the um, the four women with great luck. Very different, I guess, energies for both. Yeah, you know what? I'm giving it to the total womanhood sketch. It was a little bit more biting, you know, but both cases were examples of sketches where it was entertaining only because of the people who were performing it, not necessarily what was in it. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, I vote for that as well, actually. I thought everybody was great in it. And, uh, again, the smaller portions than God and the Dixie Cup jokes really had me cracking up. And Lorraine and Gilder were so good in it. It was tough for me because I really liked the cold open, actually. I almost picked the cold open. Mm-hmm. My best sketch of the night, uh, actually, it's, it, I gave it a bad musical. I, I laughed through a lot of it. And I, even though it was too good to be lumped in with some of the other bad stuff they've shown i thought the performances were fantastic i thought everyone was good for a long time after the first viewing it was going to be more insects to worry about um 
by a nose, but uh, it was actually bad musical in the end. I thought the Farbers was good, touch longer than ideal. Kaufman was great, but I mean, that routine I've seen elsewhere uh, a few times. But yeah, uh, so yeah, for me, definitely bad musical. Who's your star of the night? I'm going to give my star of the night to uh, Bill Murray. He didn't really have a whole lot to do, but in each sketch he was featured in, he had some type of, you know, good line that was delivered well, like the let's have sex Mrs. L one or in the cold open about how he's, you know, he can't have pep because he has personal issues. Uh, and there's a couple more, like each sketch, there was something funny that he threw in there uh, to sort of help him stand out without too much to do on his own. My star of the night was Gilda Radner. I thought she oh. was really good and uh, everything she was in. Lots of energy. Great in the cold open. Uh, great in that wife sketch, having fun with uh, Lorraine. And even though I uh, hated the joke, about the perfume, the perfume bit. Uh, she was really good at that. And yeah, I just kept, uh, she was a real, real eye puller this episode. Quite the clog dance as well, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. And Chili, just to note, this is the first time Bill Murray's won this season. So, won something. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it seemed, I don't know, it just it seemed like he's getting his legs under him. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised. I went with Belushi, and it was no no question for me um, at all. I thought he he made that uh, he made that cold open. He he, he was great in that. Um, I liked more insects to worry about. Um, his little bit in Total Womanhood, I got a laugh out of it, and I actually wanted more from him. Thought he was fantastic in Lewin Hook. It just seemed like and uh, Larry Farber, like Larry Farber, it just seems like Belushi was engaged tonight. And uh, the whole cast was loaded with energy, which is something that maybe has been lacking the last few episodes. You know, like Matt, I'm not as huge like you as well, Chili. I'm not huge on Belushi, uh, but uh, he really nailed it for me tonight a, a few different times. So I was quite happy with it. overall. For me, this episode went really, really fast. It clipped along quite well. Tons of energy. Mary Kay Place was an excellent surprise, as I did kind of write her off as another, okay, I don't know really what uh, we're going to expect here. Um, she appeared in almost anything. She blended extremely well with the cast. Willie Nelson, awesome, left me wanting more, and maybe an appearance in a sketch would have been great. You know, Total Womanhood was fine. Married in a Minute was, uh, you know, something that I, I didn't really get. They weren't top-tier sketches, but they were good. Update was better than usual. Uh, I was kind of impressed with this. It did absolutely have its weaknesses, but I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. For me, this episode was all about one word, and it's pep. You're 100% <laughs> right. Uh, there was a lot of energy through the show. Uh, there were a few more damp spots for me in terms of some sketches had a whole bunch, like Total Woman had had some. Uh, married in a minute uh the hanukkah one at the end like there was there was energy throughout but there are a few definite drop-offs like uh i found the insect one i get it's the nature of the sketch but it kind of dragged things down the monologue dragged things down even weekend update did a bit of a drag down so without that it would have been a you know balls to the wall energy i just think it was a hundred percent a case of the writers had nothing for these performers who were ready to do good work uh, you know, Kaufman had both. He had his own bit, he had his jokes, and he had the energy, obviously. And, you know, he was, you know, he's one of my favorite Andy Kaufman things I've seen. 
So overall, good episode. Willie was on it, so that's going to get at least a couple stars. I got to give it a 6 out of 10. The writing just didn't give enough, but it would have been much worse if it wasn't for the energy that was brought to the material. So much energy brought to the material. Oh, it's tough. Like, I like the cold open. I hate the monologue. Some of the sketches are just off the rails with uh, just trying to cram in stuff. Get a good host. The musical guest is fine. Uh, Weekend update is sour patch, but it's very inconsistent. What would my takeaway be from this episode? I don't know. So I'm going to go ahead and give this a five. I give this a five out of ten. Sure. So with uh, Matt's five, Chili six, and my seven, we average out at a six out of ten, which is exactly 1.5 from our exchange rate from the IMDb people who gave it a 7.5. So that 7.5 drops it right in the middle. It's 10th of the year and uh, 172nd best episode to date as of two months ago. So, uh, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, I'd put that in the middle. I actually might put it a little higher in the middle from what we've seen so far, but we've still got a long way to go in the season. So, Chili, thank you very much for stepping in again. We do get to see you again, of course, through Season 3 a couple more times. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It's a very nice surprise, especially knowing that Willie was the musical host. Mm -hmm. And was my favorite episode, but it did fly by. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for Jerry. having me at any time. Yeah, you, slept, you stepped in a little late on this one for us, so we appreciate that as well. So, Matt, next week, you know who's hosting and uh, who our musical guest is? I don't know who's hosting. Huh? <laughs> no, and you're huh? not? No. I until, don't uh, know I who's hosting. Uh, but I did hear in the credits that the Sex Pistols are on next week. They are not. <laughs> <laughs> no, visa problems. <laughs> Damn it! So uh, it'll be Paul Simon next week. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> next week is hosted by the winner of the Anyone Can Host contest, which I'm so glad you don't know yet. And uh, the musical guest, it's a historic moment, Matt. It's uh, Elvis Costello. Oh, yeah. Gonna have a lot to talk about on that episode, I think. Yeah, I think. And, and, who's uh, Who's joining us? We have a new person joining us. We had our own little Anyone Can Host contest. Um, and uh, some we said who can host that wouldn't uh, wouldn't necessarily normally be asked to host from, you know, among our associates and folks we know. And uh, yeah, we're bringing out someone new. His name is Daniel. He'll be joining us next week. Daniel, right on. I'll look forward to that. I like that we have associates. <laughs> I mean, like people we know personally. It has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Although Daniel has listened to most episodes. Yeah. He knows our show better than Saturday Night Live, I think. Hey, I love that. So it'll be great to have him on. I think it'll be an interesting uh, interesting episode for us. We'll be back in about a week with the winner of the Anyone Can Host contest and Elvis Costello in a historic uh, musical performance. But until then, Matt and Chili and I will be working on bringing up our pet here in SNL. Hell.